All right, let me introduce to you Kevin Rush. Come on up, Kevin. And, um, and I, I got to tell you, you have no idea how jealous a guy with the last name of Poindexter is of a name like Kevin Rush. That's hilarious. That's just one of the best names. Um, so Kevin is going to start a church very soon, is in the process right now, in Lakewood. And um, what I would like to hear you to do right now is just kind of share your vision with us about what you're doing. Yep. Um, yeah, like you said, my name is uh, Kevin Rush. I want to say hi to my wife. I want everybody to meet my wife, Sandra. She's sitting up here in the front row. Raise your hand high. Nobody saw that. Right there. And Ali and Kayla is part of our team. They're right beside them. And then Elijah's in the back. So you have some uh, City Edge Christian Church is the name of our church in Lakewood. And you have some of our team members here today. Um, our vision is to really to be a, uh, a church that helps transform the city with the love of Jesus. Our mantra is love beyond reason. And what that means is we want to love people with God's unconditional love that he showed toward, uh, towards us. Um, we live this out by three mission images. We really believe our culture is, um, that the currency of our culture is images. So we live this out by living out the table, the text, and the towel. The table is about inviting people to, to the table. If you really love somebody, right, you invite them to your table, whether you're in high school and you invite them to, you're like, well, hey, why don't you just go sit with me? Um, or you invite somebody into your house. That's when you really say, like, hey, I love you. I'm really wanting to care for you and get to know you. So that's our, our image for, like, community and, and coming together, inclusive community, whether you're far from God or you're close, uh, really close to God. We want to be in community together. The text is about finding your place in God's story. We believe God is telling a grand story, a grand epic story, and he's inviting each one of us to find our place in that, to journey with him in his grander story and see what our story is, uh, this little subplot in the, in the grander story. And then the last is uh, the, the towel. Now, I think the purpose of a towel is to clean up messes. I know some people think they're decorative. I don't understand that whatsoever. If you have decorative towels, I will violate them when I come over to your house, I promise. So to me, the point of a towel is to clean up messes. Um, you, you, you clean up messes, and to me, that's, that, that's what we're supposed to be as the church. People that enter into the messes of the world uh, join in to make a difference. What, what, what I like to say is that Jesus called us to live our most heroic life now. That's what laying your life down for others. A hero is somebody who does that, right? So we want you to live your most heroic life now. So that's kind of our, uh, our vision and mission. We want to be a church-planting church. We want to plant the gospel in each, each person's life and also for the city. What does it mean when, when Jesus shows up? What does it mean when there's good news for a city? So being on the edge, um, that's what we're called, City Edge Christian Church. We're on the edge of Cleveland. Lakewood's like the closest city to downtown Cleveland. So we're on the edge of the city for the edges of our city. So that's kind of... Um, yeah, what we're doing. Sounds like a good place to be. I might start attending there, oh. actually. Um, um, talk about some faith struggles, because I remember in the early days of Polaris and, yeah. you know, 1999 and following, um, just some, some great faith struggles in that endeavor. So how have you seen that? Sure. Or has it been all just oh, pieces of cake? No. Um, one thing that's great and also a huge struggle, like you said, about being, doing a church plant, being a part of a church plant, is you're totally relying on God for everything. You have this grandiose vision that's out there, and you're like groping in the fog for it, but you don't know how it's going to happen. You're like, God, I think it's going to happen this way. Um, you start to make plans your way, and God changes those or um, sets, sets things back or pushes things forward. So it's kind of uh, always being able to rely on God and having no idea what's going to come next. Um, and it's also easy to give thanks in that way because you're like, oh, I didn't see that coming. Um, but some personal struggles. Um, for some reason, I don't like, I'm not a big person that's like into, uh, 
uh, everything's a spiritual attack kind of thing. But we have been really sick um, this this winter and into spring. What? All the great ones are. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, even yesterday I had the flu or food poisoning. And uh, this was actually the second time I was thinking about having to call up Alex and say, I can't come to, to <laughs> I'm throwing up and uh, have, you know, the South problem too, North and South going on. So, uh, but luckily it all cleared up and this morning I felt great. So, um, the, really we've, we've been sick more in this last three months than we've, than I've been in years ever. I mean, you could add up all the other years. I had pneumonia and was in the hospital, um, had gastritis at the same, this is all in the same time, pneumonia, gastritis, and what was the other thing I had? An ear infection of all random things. So, um, really like I've felt some kind of spiritual track uh, attack that way. And then also just not knowing like um, who our supporters are going to be financially, where we are in those struggles. Um, things have been really good, and we've been blessed by a lot of people that we were surprised by, but there's always just not knowing, right, that uh, we're Americans. We love to know everything. <laughs> like, I want to know everything, even the gossip. Just give me it all. Um, and sometimes we don't even know what the real next step is going to look like. So just kind of trusting God with everything. So that, that's a struggle sometimes. Sure. What could we? What could I mean? Polaris loves Cleveland. Um, what could we do to help? Um, the first thing is prayer. Um, one, you can go to cityedge.org. Um, that's our our website right now. You can sign up for our prayer team. And what we do is monthly we send out all our praise and and our prayer requests. And that's a great opportunity for you guys just to be lifting us up. That would be my first thing. The second thing is right now we're doing a Kickstart campaign. It's to raise thirty k, thirty thousand dollars in thirty days. So really big, grandiose goal. But we have a very big vision um, for what we're doing. So if you go to the website, also you'll find more information on Kickstart. Uh, City Edge. There's a baby registry for our church, although we're also expecting. Um, my wife is pregnant. We are having our third child, which is right about the same time as we launch. So that's that's exactly awesome. when you want to time those things yeah, up. You know, brilliant. I am sometimes. What what can I say? Um, so yeah, we have three children. I didn't say that, and they're in your lovely children's ministry. Uh, Sayla's three, Aaliyah's one, and we have another one coming. So definitely pray for us there. Um, we're definitely trying to figure that, out, that all that stuff out. Um, but yeah, and then the last thing is, um, you guys are close enough. You guys could come do short-term mission trips, even if it's just one or two of you, or if you guys wanted to assemble a team and come help. Uh, we do different things to serve the city. Today, later today, we're going to. Uh, we just try to meet needs that aren't being met or struggles that people are having. Today, we're going to do what we call laundry love, and we're going to a laundromat. And I have 800 quarters in my car, and we're going to pay for people's laundry. Um, have balloon animals. We're going to make balloon animals for kids, and have coloring books, and just try to love on those people, get to know them some. So anything like that. We also do bigger projects for the city, but. Um, that's the simple ones kind of stuff. Okay, so if, if these guys have family members, where up, up in that area, what should they tell them to do? Um, go to cityedge.org. I'm going to say that over and over again. Cityedge.org. Um, if, you, if you know somebody exactly that you want me to connect to, if it's more you'd prefer a face-to-face, or maybe especially if they're not a follower of Jesus, go into our website sometimes like, these guys are loving Jesus. I'm not sure if I'm there yet kind of thing. Um, I come see me, I'll give you my business card, and they, or you can give me their number, and I'll give them a call, and we'll sit down, um, or I can give you my business card, and you can check with them, and then email me and say, yeah, you can go talk to these guys. So, anything like that. All right, one final thing. Why is it important to start new churches? Yeah, um, there's a quote, you know, I read all these smart guys, um, theologians and um, professors and sociologists, 
And all of them, all of them t- will tell you the, the best evangelistic method is church planning. Um, they'll say well, what that means is to reach new people groups, to reach out to people who are far from God, people who are not being reached, the best thing you can do is help start a church. So that's would be my first answer. The other thing is um, the there's another book called the what is it, American Christ Church in Crisis. Church in Crisis. Yeah, American Church in Crisis. And it's a book about um, that tells that the, the American church is in decline and uh, it's kind of bleeding at the seams in a lot of ways. Like just to give you a stat real quick, the Catholic Church in Greater Cleveland area has closed 54 churches in a year and a half. And that's just the Catholic Church. Um, 54. Um, so anyhow, there's this there's this decline of the American church, not even places to go. In Lakewood, only 9% attend a church on any given Sunday regularly to attend a Protestant church, not even talking about Catholic, just Protestant. So um, the way that the other thing that really helps is like a church like Polaris. Um, it's easy to grow. Uh, not easy, I shouldn't say that. Uh, there's a typical really. <laughs> <laughs> there's a typical growth curve up until your first 20 years. Your first 20 years, you have the most potential, but after that 20 years, there's a, a it's very difficult to reach new people. Uh, I think part of that's tradition. I think the other book the book goes on to explain a lot of that. But one thing that a church, a old, an older church, more established church can do is to invest in church planning because. It becomes their petri dish. It becomes their um, new fresh life that they get to see. Oh, that's going on. Oh, we could do that, right? We can do that. We could reach those people by adopting some things, and it helps uh, transition your church as well as bless people to be sending out. The the really first church in Acts is about a sending church, and uh, that's the kind of churches that we need to see more and more of because that's where we'll really reach more and more people with the love of Jesus. Okay. Well, thank you, Kevin. Yep. And I want to pray for you real quick. Awesome. God, thank you for for inspiring uh, guys like Kevin and his family to um, to leave the comfort of the known and start new things and do bold things for you. We love the place that you've placed us in. We love Cleveland. We love the people of Cleveland, and um, and and so we pray that you would bless and anoint and just unleash your spirit's power in City Edge and. Um, Pray that you would inspire them with boldness and um, that you would be the wind behind the sails that just pushes things forward and fight against uh, the attacks of the enemy and um, pray that you would bless them financially and with resources and courage and excitement and exposure and energy and we look forward to seeing the great things that you will accomplish through this new church. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks. Thanks, man. Okay. I want to take about 10 minutes and close out this Leviticus series that I started nine months ago, and then next week we'll start all over again. Um, turn to Leviticus chapter 26, and what I would like to do If you need a Bible, there are some in the back right as you come into the cinema here on the stools back there. Um, What I would like to do this morning is to sort of solidify in your mind the consistency between the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament. Here's why. I know many Christians who have been followers of Jesus for a long, long time that fail to bridge the gap 
failed to find relevancy in the Old Testament. Many Christians just simply write off the Old Testament as irrelevant or something that they can't understand. Or they get frustrated and, and flustered because they see this judgmental, angry, unpleasable God of the Old Testament. Meanwhile, the New Testament has this loving, gracious, faithful, forgiving God. And there seems to be a contradiction there, but you don't really want to focus on the contradiction, so you just kind of ignore the Old Testament. What I would like to do using the final chapters of the book of Leviticus is hopefully bridge that gap for you so that you can see um, some consistency there. See a faithful and loving and consistent God through the whole thing. So, turn to Leviticus 26. (coughs) How many of you struggle with guilt? Anybody here feel like you're sinful and you do sinful things and maybe wonder from time to time if, 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 if maybe you haven't done things that are unforgivable? or maybe you've gone too far this time, keep that in mind. I'm going to start in verse 3. This is God talking to the Israelites about His covenant. And the covenant, we said, is the promise, it's the deal that God made with the Israelites for Him to be their God and them to be His people. And it came with some sets of, of agreements, okay? And God says, if you follow my decrees and are careful to obey my commands, I will send you rain in its season, and the ground will yield its crops, and the trees of the field their fruit. Your threshing will continue until grape harvest, and the grape harvest will continue until planting, and you will eat all the food you want and live in the safety of your land. Pretty good deal. I will grant peace in the land. I will lower my microphone. (coughs) I will grant peace in the land. And you will lie down and no one will make you afraid. I will remove savage beasts from the land. And the sword will not pass through your country. You will pursue your enemies and they will fall by the sword before you. Five of you will chase a hundred. And a hundred of you will chase ten thousand. And your enemies will will, will fall by the sword before you. I will look on you with favor, make you fruitful and increase your numbers. I will keep my covenant with you. You will still be eating last year's harvest when you will have to move it out to make room for the new. I will put my dwelling place among you and I will not abhor you. I will walk among you and be your God and you will be my people. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt so that you would no longer be slaves to the Egyptians. I broke the bars of your yoke and enabled you to walk with heads held high. Now that's some amazing writing right there. And I just think that that's a tremendous um, promise from God to the Israelites if they follow His decrees. And I mean, think about it now. Naturally, they're in Egypt For 430 years, they're in slavery. They have no rights, no possessions, no nothing. And God comes in and he crushes Pharaoh and he frees them. And he presents them with this amazing opportunity of life. That's a pretty good deal, right? You follow my decrees and I will do all these things for you. 
verse 14, but if you will not listen, and this is where things get amazing from my perspective, because what God is about to do here is he is about to paint a picture of the future of Israel. He's essentially telling them, this ain't going to work out. It's a great deal. It ain't going to work out. He kind of does this thing that any of you have a mom or dad who sat you down once and read you the hypothetical riot act, even though you haven't done anything wrong yet, just because they knew you. Any of you parents of kids who've done this to your kids? Because we know what they're capable of. So it's like, come here and sit down. What? I didn't, just, just come here and sit down. Now, you got the keys to the car yesterday. And if you ever, and you see the blood start to boil, and you've literally done nothing wrong, and by the end, they are just livid, and if you ever take the car without us knowing, and are late getting back, and don't, you know, whatever, if you sneak, and just go to your room. You know, and it's like, you, <laughs> I've done nothing wrong yet. Well, here God begins to create some hypothetical situations. But what we learn he's really doing is giving the Israelites a blueprint for what life is going to be like and then promising some forgiveness. It says, if you will not listen to my commands, carry out all these commands. If you reject my decrees and abhor my laws and fail to carry out all my commands and so violate my covenant, so he's saying, if you grow to the place where you hate this promise and you reject my love, he goes on down later in like verse 29 to predict that they may even eat their own children and worship other gods. Now, I would assume that there are some large... Let's pretend that you've, you could value sins, that like some sins are worse than others. Maybe the case may not be the case. I don't know, but we won't get into that discussion right now. Let's just pretend that we're going to rate sins. Eating your own children? Probably at the top of the list, you know? I mean, maybe you and I have done some things that we feel guilty, that, that kind of burden us, but... I doubt any of you have ever eaten your own children. So God says, even with eating your own children and worshiping other gods in mind. Verse 40. But if they will confess their sins and the sins of their fathers, their treachery against me, And their hostility toward me, which made me hostile toward them, so that I sent them into the lands of their enemies. Then when their uncircumcised hearts are humbled, and they pay for their sin, I will remember my covenant. What God is saying there, and they haven't done anything wrong yet as a people. What he's doing is he's telling them, that should the occasion arise in the future, and I'm sure he has a pretty good understanding that it will, even in the midst of the worst of sins, 
if they would just confess and humble themselves before their God, he would reestablish their covenant. God is telling them, even with the worst in mind, I'm telling you that forgiveness is available to you. By confessing and humbling, it's available to you. And I think that, that if we were to compare this to something in a marriage, okay, let's, let's think about a, a marriage ceremony. If I were to walk a couple through their vows and, and they handed me vows like this and I were to say uh, something like, will, will you take this spouse to be your spouse to have and to hold from this day forward for better, for worse, richer, poor, sickness and in health, and if you find that they have had multiple affairs, if you find that they have gambled your house away, if you find that they have murdered your children, upon confession of that sin and humbling themselves, you will take them back. You would say that is a ridiculous vow to make. There's no way you should promise that level of acceptance, that level of forgiveness. But what we see here is a God who on the front end of this covenant says, even if you do these things, it's going to land you in some consequence. But if you confess, if you humble yourselves, I will forgive you. Now that doesn't sound like a condemning, judgmental, difficult-to-please God of the Old Testament to me. That's some pretty crazy forgiveness. And that's going to bring me to the second piece today, and, and then I'm going to close. Um, if you will turn with me to Romans chapter 3. I want to walk you through how really the laws and rules that bog us down in the Old Testament... They're really just a setup to help us understand God's grace. So if we were to start in Romans 3, the bottom part of verse 9, Paul says, We have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are under sin. Now this is after 1,500 years of Leviticus, the laws of the Old Testament. And Paul says, what we're telling you is that everybody both the Jews who have their laws in the covenant and Gentiles who have no rule, they're all under sin. Then he goes on to say, no one is righteous, not even one. No one understands. No one seeks God. Everyone's turned away. Everyone's become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their, their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways. And the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. That's some tough stuff to stomach about the human condition. And what I've found is that we often, because we are frail and fragile human beings, hear that, and it's our tendency to rebel against it. Because we don't like our faults and our weaknesses to be exposed. And so to hear God and the Word of God speak so negatively of the human condition, we get angry. 
And we say that that's judgmental and condemning. But the problem is we miss the point. We miss the reason that God is labeling the human condition sinful. Let's move on. Verse 19. We know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable. So the purpose of these rules that we read about in Leviticus was to silence the mouths of anyone like you or me who could think that we could earn our way to God. Verse 20, Therefore no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. So what that tells you and me is that, yes, God understands that we are sinful, and yes, we should look at the laws of Scripture and the rules and realize we can't fulfill these. And the reason that God has given us those rules is so that we would realize there is no way that we can live up to this standard. 21. But now a righteousness comes from God apart from the law, has been made known to which the law and the prophets, the Old Testament, testify. The righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. On down in 27. Where then is boasting? It is excluded. On what principle? On that of observing the law and getting everything right? No, but on faith. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from observing the law. I'm going to tie this up in a minute. Flip the page over to 520. The law was added so that sin might increase. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now here's why that matters for you today. We look at God and how he labels us as sinful and see him as being judgmental. But what we learn is that the reason that God exploits our sinfulness is not to kick us down, but rather so that we can understand the level of grace that he offers us in Jesus. In other words, Chris Beebe, you are a miserable person and I want you to know that. Not so that you feel terrible about yourself, but so that you appreciate the fact that I love you anyway. So God tells us that he gave us 1,500 years of rules oppression ultimately to exploit the fact that we are sinful so that we would realize the gap between God and us. Because if we did not realize that gap, we could never appreciate how amazing it is that God says, yes, there is an enormous gap, but I love you anyway. That is the God of the Old Testament 
and the New Testament, and that is the same God who offers the same relationship to you and I today. And I hope if you look at Leviticus, quirky as it is, with all of its rules and regulations and ceremonies and rituals, what you will see is that for 1,500 years, God was helping us understand how far apart from Him we really are, so that through Jesus, we could understand that God loves us anyway and has paved the path for a relationship with Him.